All right, well, hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. If you are new, we do want to say welcome home. Thanks for, for coming this morning. We pray that you would feel warmly welcomed and loved and that the Lord would meet with you. That's our prayer every single week is that, that our services would just be full of the Holy Spirit and that if you come here, you get to meet with God. That's our prayer, right? And you can meet with God all week long, but our prayer is that in this space, it would be a place where God's presence is just so powerful. And today, I have an opportunity to, or to make a sweet announcement. So, so before I jump into the message, I, I want to start with this. So for the last year or so, we've been, been prayerfully considering when we will need to make the move from, or from one to two services. And, and we've had some Sundays where we have filled up every last parking spot. So it's like, like parked out in the cornfield over there. You see the streets always full of parking. We've had quite a few Sundays specifically during the school year where that happened. Our kids' classrooms are getting full. Uh, we did two services on Easter Sunday. That felt like a step of faith. And then we filled like every seat in here in both services. And, and now this summer, we've been filling up one service on, on a pretty consistent basis. And in a few weeks, we're going to have our college students coming back, which if you came new this uh, summer, we have a lot of college students. So, so be ready for them. They are a wily, energetic bunch of college students. Thank you for who you are and the energy you bring to our church. We're excited for, uh, for them to get back. So as we look to the future, we just don't see how we can continue doing one service uh, into this next school year as, you know, again, students are coming back, people are getting back from vacations, and, and more new people are going to join our church in Jesus' name. And at the very heart of our church is the desire to help our friends become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want to help as many people as possible come to know Jesus. And one of the primary places that that happens is our Sunday morning gathering. So we don't want the lack of space to keep people away. Okay, so with that in mind, on August 20th, we're doing a back-to-school Sunday. It's going to be a big Sunday after church. We're going to do inflatables again. We love inflatables. There's going to be food. It's going to be great, but that's also going to be our first day of two services again. We've done two services in the past. In the past, we did them at 9 and 11. That was during COVID when like, there was like 20 feet in between each row. It was a good time, but uh, it's weird. But, uh, but yeah, so now we're going to do 8.30 and 10.30. We uh, or decided to make that switch, prayerfully decided to make that switch because we found that our 9 a.m. was much more well-attended than the 11, and there's a lot of energy in the 9, not as much in the 11, so we're hoping by moving up the 9 to 8.30, we can get some more energy in the second service and then having a little bit earlier 10.30 service. So uh, we're super excited about this change, and I want to encourage you, as you see more seats open around you, to invite your friends, right? If you have not invited a friend to church yet, and this is your church home, Well, that ends today in Jesus' name, right? Invite your friends to come and to encounter the Lord. I'm excited to or to make room for more. Last week in our sermon, we talked about the idea of making room for love, right? And that's one way we're doing that is by having another service, by by making the sacrifice of our time and energy uh, to make room for more people to encounter Jesus. So get ready. I believe the Lord's going to fill up both those services really fast. That's the sense. And then we got three services, and you better pray for me, because I struggle with two. So it's going to be good, though. I'm excited for, for what God's going to do. But at this time, we're going to jump into our Philippian series, and we're in chapter 2 still. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there to verse 12. It's been such a joy to uh, work through the book of Philippians this summer. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been in chapter 2. And I tell you, chapter 2, it can really get you can kind of punch you right in the gut. And in the opening 11 verses, Paul calls the church in Philippi to be humble and to be unified with each other. And he tells them that they can do this by having the same mindset as Christ. And then he explains Christ's mindset through sharing this beautiful hymn that, that was likely written in the first years after Jesus ascended to heaven. So it's a super 
early hymn. It's even earlier than Philippians because Paul is quoting from it. And in the hymn, it talks about how, how Jesus emptied himself by coming to earth, and then he sacrificed himself by dying on the cross. So Paul says, if you can get that same mindset that, that caused Jesus to empty and sacrifice himself, then you'll be able to be humble and unified with one another. And then in verse 12, that's where we're going to pick it up. He's, he's kind of continuing on with this theme. He says this in verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but then much more in my absence, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights, and some translations say stars, in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the sermon title, if you're taking notes, and I still hope you are, is Shine Like Stars. Shine Like Stars. Let's pray over that and then we'll dive on in. So Lord, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity to come together and to worship you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak through me. We pray that these would not be lofty words of wisdom. This wouldn't just be a good teaching. But Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in power through it. We pray for a demonstration of your spirit's power. So God, we love you. We praise you. We welcome you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So as many of you know, our church is a part of a movement or a fellowship or a network of churches called the Assemblies of God. And this isn't a denomination technically but it kind of is, but it's a fellowship of churches that, that support and collaborate with one another. And within the Assemblies of God, there are various districts or networks uh, that have their own leadership. So our church is a part of the Iowa Ministry Network. And this last spring, I was asked to serve as a presbyter for the Iowa Ministry Network. And presbyters exercise oversight and support for the pastors and the churches of the district. So so my specific job is I'm like the junior presbyter because I'm in charge of the ministers under 40, okay? So the little guys. Uh, so after being asked to serve by our superintendent, I then had to be approved by the ministers of our district with a simple ratification vote at our annual meeting. And typically after the vote, the presbyter will come up to the stage and give a speech. So I was thinking about this. I was preparing for it. Like, what am I going to say? My first time talking in front of these guys, most of them are older than me. What am I going to say? And I had this whole, like, great moving speech. I thought tears were going to be shed. That was crafted in my mind. And I was ready to communicate it to them. Leading up to the vote, I had all this nervous energy building up. I was jittery. Like, oh, what am I going to say? And uh, the sad thing, though, is my vote was at the very end of the meeting, right? Junior presbyter, so it's the end of the meeting. And, and we didn't have time for me to make my speech. So all I got to do was come up and smile and wave, and then I had to go sit down. So I, I had thought about it for weeks. I had spent a lot of energy on this for nothing. And, and one of my greatest fears in life is wasting my life on things that don't matter, on wasting lots of time on things that, that just don't matter. I remember in eighth grade, in one of my papers, I boldly wrote, and I talked to my language arts teacher about it afterwards, um, I wrote that I wanted to change the world. I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to change the world. I just wanted to change the world. I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to do something of significance. I've always wanted my life to count. I wanted to spend my time and, in, or time and energy on things that actually matter. Okay, so have you ever considered if your life is making a difference? Have you considered if the 
uh, things you spend your time and energy on are going to matter when all is said and done? Have you thought about these things? I'm sure most of us have at least thought about these things. You know, at night when we're, our minds are racing and we allow our thoughts to go there, we think, uh, does my life actually count or am I wasting it on trivial things? We have probably considered these things. And, and this appears to be something that, that the Apostle Paul was very concerned about. At the beginning of our text, he, he boldly calls the Philippians to, uh, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gives them the reason why they need to do this. He says this in verse 16b. He says, so that in the day of Christ, so the day that the Lord returns, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Okay, so Paul was very concerned that all the suffering he endured and the energy he exerted for the Philippians would be for nothing. He was concerned that they would not go the distance in their faith. He was concerned that, that he would plant this church just to see it fall. After Paul met Jesus, he had decided to give his entire life to helping other people love Jesus. That's what his whole life was about. And to this end, he planted churches all over the Roman world in the midst of great opposition. And he was willing to endure intense hardship because he knew that if he could plant churches and build disciples, then his life would count. After he planted these churches, he didn't just leave them and say, okay, you're good, and then go away. He would write letters, as we're reading in Philippians, and he would do everything he could to help these churches grow up into maturity by encouraging them, but also challenging them, right? He says some hard things. In the book of Philippians specifically, and this is like his favorite church, so this is like the best one, and we've seen uh, some of his very strong challenges. He did not or he didn't mince his words. He didn't worry about offending the Philippians. He did this because he wanted them to endure in their faith. He didn't have time to coddle them or to tell them that they're doing everything right when they're not. As we've worked through these challenges over the last few weeks, you may have walked out of church feeling like you got sucker punched. Right? I felt like that myself after last week. So when I preached it, I'm like, oh, that hurt me. I'll be up front with you. You're about to get punched in the gut again. <laughs> so, I just want to let you know, like, it's not my fault. We're doing verse by verse. We're just going through it. But, but here's the thing. This is good for us. It's really good for us. If we're going to endure in our faith, we need to be challenged. And we need someone who has the guts to speak truth to us and to call us higher. Here's the thing. We swim in a world of apathy. It's really bad. Half-heartedness is so prevalent. And we need someone to call us out of it and say, live your life for something that matters. And my deep desire for Sent Church is that our church would bear genuine fruit that goes the distance. And this is why I, in the spirit of Paul, it's his fault, do my best to speak truth to you and to challenge you. And just know that before I ever share with you, it's coming at me. I don't want to waste my time pastoring this church. I want this church to be built on solid ground. I want my ministry and life to count far after my time is done on this earth. Okay, so with that in mind, I want to consider an important question today. How do we make our lives count? Okay, actually, I'm just going to tell you right away. So there's no like suspense here. So Paul tells us in verse 15. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. If the Philippians could shine like stars in the world, uh, then his life and ministry would count and the Philippians' lives would count. Paul knew 
uh, that his running and labor and sacrifice would not be in vain if the churches he planted shine like bright stars in the dark world. Okay, so here's the thing. We make our lives count when we shine for Jesus. I'm about to sing a Newsboy song this morning. If you have been around the church at all, shine, wonder what you got. Oh, okay, anyways, you, two of you know it. It's fine. Don't judge me. Okay, here's the thing. When we, I always think those jokes will go better than they do. Anyways, when it, okay, here's the thing. When it comes down to it, this is the most important thing. At the last day, when you get to the end of your life, the, or the primary question that God will ask you is, did you shine for Jesus? Did you love him? And did you help other people love him? And this reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, this is our call. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to shine before others. Uh, this was the call for the church at Philippi in AD 60, and it's the call for Sent Church in 2023. Just as we sit on top of this hill, we are called to shine like bright stars in the night sky of the Cedar Valley. We are called to shine. Okay, with that in mind, what does it look like to shine like stars in a dark world? Well, Paul gives the Philippians a few ways that they could shine. In verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to or both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so something to notice right away is he uses the word therefore at the beginning of this verse. He says, this means that what Paul is saying is connected to what he just said in the preceding verses. Okay, so just before, again, he shared the beautiful hymn about how Jesus emptied himself. He, he sacrificed himself for the world. Okay, so Paul is literally saying, because Jesus laid his life down, because he did that, you should keep on obeying him. And not just in my presence when I'm there watching you, making sure you're doing good, but also in my absence. And he says, you should work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, is one of the most misunderstood commands in the Bible. Paul is not saying that they need to work for their salvation, in the very next verse, he, he makes sure that they understand that that's not what he's saying. He, he says that it's God who works in you. God is the one who saves us, right? Jesus is the one who came out of heaven to die in our place. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings our hearts to life and woos us to repentance. Uh, this morning, it's important to know we do not save ourselves through works. Our salvation is a gift from God. It's all a work of God. But the thing that Paul is saying is he's saying that they need to make sure that they did not just receive the gift of salvation, but they let salvation work itself out in their lives. And they needed to not just be sons and daughters of God positionally, right? Okay, you're my son or daughter, but they needed to actually live like sons and daughters of God. And they needed to not just be people who are headed to eternity uh, with God. Yeah, get out of hell free card, woohoo! But they needed to actually live in the kingdom of God here and now. And they needed to express the effects of their salvation in the way that they live life together in the kingdom. And another important thing to note is Paul is asking them to do this in his absence as well as in his presence. Okay, so when he's calling them to, or to work out their own salvation, he's saying, don't rely on me to work out the effects of your salvation in you. Instead, you need to work out your own salvation. It's, it's on you. You need to work it out. 
And this is key. He's calling them to take personal responsibility for their faith and to not rely on leaders alone. And then he goes on to say that they should do this with fear and trembling. I think we need some more fear and trembling in the American church. Fear and trembling. And this is not the type of fear that's terrified of being punished or scared of God. Instead, it's a fear and trembling that has reverence for God. We need to restore reverence for God in the church. It's a type of fear that is in in awe of God. It's a type of fear that is afraid of hurting his heart, right? When we really love someone, we fear. It keeps us up at night. We fear hurting them. We don't want to hurt them. As followers of Jesus, we need to fear wounding his heart through disobedience, if the Philippians could take responsibility for their faith by having a healthy fear of disobeying God and by allowing salvation to have its full effect in their lives, then they would shine like stars in this dark world. And this is the first way we shine. We shine when we take responsibility for our faith. And when we decide to not be passive, but to take responsibility for our faith, we start uh, to shine like a ball of fire in the world. And this is critical in our current cultural moment. Every generation of churches has their own set of issues. And I think one of the primary issues with the American church from, I'm thinking, the 90s through the present day, starting to shift, but is being afraid to challenge people. We've been afraid of saying the hard things for fear of pushing people away. And a reaction to the legalism and the fire and brimstone preaching of the generation before, we grew a bit soft in an attempt to, or to win back hearts that were turned off to the church, right? So it came from a good place. But here's the deal. If we're going to shine in our confused and dark world that's constantly getting contrary messages to the gospel, then we need to be radically committed to speaking truth and calling people to take responsibility for the faith. Church is not something you attend. It's not a service. It's not a good or service you receive from trained professionals. Instead, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are not, here's the thing, we're not called just to attend Sunday services and consume, but we're called to contribute. And we're not called to to live our faith through our pastors, vicariously through them, but instead we're called to have our own daily, personal, intimate relationships with Jesus. And, And we're called to fully participate in the life of the church, and to walk with Jesus daily. We are called to prioritize Jesus' community and mission. And we must be so in love with Jesus that that we can't help but let his work have its full effect in our lives. As Paul says, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. From 2015 to, to 2020, I was a Kyle director at UNI, so the campus ministry and one of the hardest things about being the college director was seeing students get so fired up for Jesus in college, and then after they graduate, drifting from their faith. Okay, here's the thing. When they were being met with by a pastor every single week saying, did you read your Bible? Is there any sin you need to confess? Did you look at porn this week? That is the thing we ask. You're all like, that'd be awkward. It is. Anyways, so, <laughs> so when they're being met with weekly by a pastor, they thrived, right? When they were in a community of people who were on fire for God, they're like, Woo! Let's go take the campus for Jesus. But then after graduating, they drift. Like that was one of the hardest things for me to see. And obviously not every student, but it was so difficult to see. And we must make sure that 
uh, we don't delegate our growth in Jesus to other people. We don't delegate it. Obviously, we submit spiritual authority, come into a community, all of that. But at the end of, or at the, end of the day, we need to take responsibility for our faith. And the Philippians, they actually seem to be doing this already. Like, that's the encouraging thing. Paul was saying, as you have always obeyed. He was essentially calling them to keep going. He's, he's, he's cheering them on. Keep doing it. Keep taking responsibility. Okay, so here's the thing. If you have already been doing this, I cheer you on this morning. Keep taking responsibility for your faith. But if you're not taking responsibility, I'm going to make it really, really hard for you not to take responsibility for your faith. I'm going to keep challenging you to take responsibility because that's the only way you're going to go the distance. This is the first key to shining like the stars. But it goes further than that. In verse 14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing or commenting passive-aggressive things on Facebook that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is now giving instructions on how they can work out their salvation in community. And this is a reference to when Israel would complain under Moses' under Moses' leadership in the wilderness, they would complain at God and at Moses. And this includes things like whispering complaints and and talking in secret against others. It includes being divisive, trying to turn people against each other. It includes raising doubts about others. And Paul, he's likely addressing something specific that was happening in Philippi. We don't know for sure what it is, but it seems likely that they were complaining about their suffering as they had been going through it, right? They had been going through suffering just like the Israelites uh, They're just like they did in the wilderness. So it seems like they were complaining against God and their leaders. And this explains why Paul was just dead set on calling for unity in the church. He viewed their complaining as a threat against their ability to shine in their dark world. And then following this in verse 15, he calls them to be blameless, innocent, and without blemish so that they can shine in the crooked and twisted world. Again, it seems like Paul viewed their complaining and grumbling as a direct threat against their uh, Christian witness in the world. If they're going to shine, they had to refuse bickering. They had to refuse fault-finding in their talk of one another. If they could do this, they would not just be children of God positionally, but experientially. And they would not just you know, be sons and daughters of God, but they'd actually live like it. And they'd shine like stars in their dark Roman world. In the world, relationships are warped and crooked. Just go to a, a typical workplace in America. Oh my goodness, the amount of gossiping, complaining behind each other's backs. You all know what I'm saying, right? Not in our workplace, in church workplaces, like, hum all day long. But uh, <laughs> it is good, though. It's going good so far. But, uh, but uh, so anyways, in the world, relationships are, worked, are, are warped and crooked. But in the church, they are full of love and tenderness and humility. If we want to shine, we got to commit to this, right? When we, or we shine when we're tender and humble with one another. And instead of being like the world that chooses wrath and bitterness and anger towards each other, we choose tenderness and humility with one another. Or with one another, I tried saying that really fast. We must choose to give one another the benefit of the doubt instead of doubting that they have any benefit. And we must choose grace. And we must hold ourselves to high standards, but others to low standards. Give grace on top of grace in your relationships. And we must turn the other cheek and offer forgiveness because Jesus has forgiven us. And this reminds me of Ephesians 4. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Okay, see, speaking truth is not unloving. Let's just get that out of the way. Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Can I get an amen? Somebody that'll preach. That's good stuff right there. Come on, in verse 27, Paul says, it says when we're angry and we hold on to bitterness, we give opportunity to the devil. I don't want to give the devil no opportunity in my life. Right? The word opportunity there, or give opportunity, is the word topos in the Greek, which means physical space. Other translations say a foothold. Okay? When we choose bitterness, we give the devil a spot in our hearts. Instead of giving the devil a foothold, we must speak truthfully with one another, be honest with each other, get our hearts right with one another, and choose kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. If we want to shine, we have to commit to tenderness and humility. And there's at least one more way that Paul calls us to shine. In verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life. Okay, so Paul, he calls the church at Philippi to not only avoid complaining and grumbling, but to hold fast to God's word. In the midst of their dark world, or dark world they could shine by holding firmly to the word of God. Okay, G. Walter Hansen in his commentary on Philippians said, complaining turns off the light of church in the world and proclaiming the word of life shines the light of the life of Christ into the darkness of the world. Paul boldly calls them to proclaim and defend God's word. And this means they could not be moved around by what was going on in culture. They couldn't be moved around by, or by what the world believed, but instead they had to hold firm to Jesus and his good news. And this was not an easy task. Ancient Rome was so different from Christianity in almost every single way. It was an honor-shame culture where vengeance was celebrated. It was like cancel culture on steroids. And the strong were encouraged to prey on the weak. Infants were often left to die if they were unwanted. Sexual immorality was celebrated. The poor were trampled upon. Hatred between ethnic groups was celebrated and expected. In contrast, Jesus Christ from Nazareth, he called his church uh, to love their enemies. He called them to take care of the oppressed and the poor and to protect children and the weakest among them. He called them to practice their sexuality within the confines of man and woman marriage. If you think that's countercultural today, it was very, very countercultural in the Roman world. And he called them to, or to unify under his gospel as one body regardless of race or nationality. Okay, so following Jesus was such a different way of living from the Roman way. Christians were just plain weird. And Dr. Larry Hattado, he, he talks about this book and his distinctiveness on the early church, or the distinctiveness of the early church. He, he says this, in fact, in the eyes of many in the Roman era, Christianity was very odd, even objectionably so. Christians were so strange uh, to the outside world in the first century and they weren't trying to change that. They're like, we are weird. Come join us. <laughs> and they were fiercely opposed by the Jewish and Roman authorities. Paul was convinced that the church in Philippi needed to lean into their distinctiveness and not run from it. And they needed to hold fast to the word of life. They would reach their city not by bowing to its idols, but by resisting them. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. And they would shine by being different, not by blending in. And Paul was right. As they resisted their culture, 
and held fast to the world, they brought the Roman Empire to its knees. And the church grew at a breathtaking pace. And no other group in the Roman Empire grew like Christianity did. It has become now today the, or the largest and most diverse religion in the world, despite all the opposition it's faced over the centuries. If we want to shine again in the West, we must follow the way of the early church. We must hold fast to the word no matter the cost. Come on, somebody. We shine when we hold fast to the word of God. I'm contending for a church like this. I want to see uh, Jesus raise up a church that is fiercely committed to truth, the real truth, as the book says it is, right? Not our own idea. Sometimes we think stuff is truth that's not, right? So, so according to the scriptures, and my prayer is that as we commit to the truth, we wouldn't become angry or legalistic. If you're getting more angry and legalistic as you commit to the truth, you're not really committing to the truth. You're committing to something else. Or we don't become angry or legalistic towards people who don't obey it. But actually the truth uh, causes us to be more tender and humble with people who, who don't believe in Jesus. I'm praying that the truth would soften and melt our hearts. And then out of that, we would lovingly share it with the world, understanding that people might think we're weird. And that's okay. If we can hold fast to the word of life and do it with tenderness and humility, all bets are off. And we will shine in this dark world. And this was Paul's earnest desire for the church at Philippi. He was giving his life to see them and the other churches he started shine. He says this in verse 16b. He says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul knew that if he could get the church to shine, and to be the people that God had called them to be, then he would not have wasted his life. His life would count. And he uses these images of running and laboring to show just how hard he was working to see the Philippians step into their calling. And he also uses the image of being poured out like a drink offering. He poured his life out on the, on the altar of helping uh, the churches follow Jesus and mature in him. And he was even willing to die to see other people love Jesus and endure in their love for him, and they would, and he would die. He, he would give his life for this, and, and this, this letter was actually written as he was in prison, right? He's writing it as he's in prison for his faith. He was willing to give it all to see other people grow up into Christ-likeness. He was willing uh, to give it all to bring glory to God. He poured himself out for Jesus and for people. He poured himself out so that the Philippians could shine. So with that in mind, I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you pouring yourself out for? You're pouring yourself out for something. What is it? Are you pouring yourself out to accumulate uh, more money and treasure on earth? Are you pouring yourself out to be popular or famous, trying to get those Instagram followers up? I know we got some influencers in here. I'm kidding. I don't think we do. Maybe we do. If that's you, then that's a word from the Lord for you. Don't pour yourself out to be famous. Are you pouring yourself out to be as comfortable as possible? If I can just get that new thing that, that makes me more comfortable. Oh, man, I'm going to be so happy. It won't work. Trust me. Are you pouring, your, are pouring yourself out for sex or personal pleasure? Are you pouring yourself out for fill in the blank? What are you pouring yourself out for? In Paul's example, he, he calls you through his life to pour yourself, or to pour yourself out, uh, not for anything in this world that can be taken from you, but instead to pour yourself out for something eternal. And this is the only way your life will count. And here's the last way we shine. We shine when we pour our lives out for the glory of Jesus. 
If you want your life to count, give it up. If you want your life to count, surrender it. Give yourself fully to the glory of God through living a life of worship to him and helping other people worship him. Pour yourself out so that on the last day, when you stand before Jesus, which all of us will do, you'll have no reason to be ashamed. In Mark 8, Jesus called his disciples to this. It says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Like, what does it profit you if you get everything in this earth and you forfeit your soul? For, or for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Here's the thing. Jesus is coming back. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming with the glory of the Father and with his holy angels. And the question that's going to matter is, what did you do with Jesus? That's what's going to matter. It's not going to matter how much stuff you got, how comfortable you were, if you achieved all your dreams. It's going to matter. The question that's going to matter is, what did you do with Christ, the one who died and rose again? If you can give your life up, you'll find it. You'll find what you're looking for. If you can surrender it to Jesus, if you lose your life, you'll save it. Again, what does it profit you to gain the whole world and to forfeit your soul? What does it profit you? If you give your life up, this is the pathway to life and joy. Pour your life out for Jesus. Pour it out. And laying it all down at his feet is the sure way to be joyful. Philippians 2.17. Again, Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. It was Paul's privilege and his joy to make his life count. It was his privilege and joy to lay himself down for others. It was his joy to live for Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And he beckons us this morning. He calls us, join me in my joy. In verse 18, he says, likewise, you also, in the midst of all your suffering, everything going on in Philippi, he says, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the thing. When we live our life for Jesus, we find great joy because our lives won't be wasted. They will matter. Okay, the main idea this morning is this. If you're taking notes, and I hope you still are, it's when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we find life and joy. We find life and joy. It was actually 12 years ago today that I first truly surrendered my life to Jesus. 12 years of running after him the best I can, good days, bad days. And I haven't regretted it yet. I had grown up in the church, but I was never all in with Jesus. I really liked heaven. Some of you are like, I like heaven. Heaven's good. I didn't really like the, you know, giving myself up part of Christianity. I'd only given him half of myself. I gave him enough so I could get that get out of hell free car. Come on, somebody. I wanted to get in. That's all I wanted. Just barely let me in. We'll be good. But in the years leading up to this turning point on July 23rd of 2011, I was really struggling. I was addicted to pornography. I was doing things with girls that I shouldn't have been doing. I was finding my identity in what I could achieve 
I was like consumed with my homework and achieving things. I remember my family members would come into my bedroom. I was working on homework. I'm like, get the stink out of my room right now. I'm working on this, right? Because I was finding all my identity in it. I was living the party life. So I was just like, like all my energy was going in all the wrong places. And I got to this point after my senior year of high school where I just got utterly desperate before God because I'd kind of come to the end of myself with all these things. I realized that they weren't giving me what I thought they would. And I realized also, because again, I was still trying to get into heaven, but I had realized that I had nothing to bring to the table, spiritually speaking. I just had nothing to bring. Like, why would Jesus let me in, right? The way I'm living. And I desperately needed Jesus to do something in me. And I asked him one morning after a night of partying and doing things I shouldn't have been doing, on July 23rd of 2011, I asked him, I said, Jesus, could you ever love me after all these horrible things I've done? As weeping before him, and honestly, I thought I was at the end of my rope, spiritually. I thought like, this is it, bud. Like you have crossed every line. There's no hope for you now, you're done. That's how I felt in my spirit. But I was shocked when I encountered the Holy Spirit in that moment. He responded to me with love. It's like, what is this? What is this? I've done everything I said I would never do. And yet you're coming to me in this moment uh, with love. You're coming to me in this moment with grace. His love came after me that morning in a way that I had never even touched before. I was like, what is this love? It was as if my heart was like dead and started beating. I came back to life. It's as if all the ashes around me, all the mess I had made kind of turned into beauty. And God's like showing me how he can turn it into good. It was as if my mourning my, or my weeping was turning to dancing and my shame was turning to joy. Jesus redeemed me when I didn't deserve it. I realized there's nothing I could do to get in. There's, nothing, like, there's no amount of holy acts that I could do for Jesus to say, hey, you're in, buddy. You've done enough. And it took getting to that point uh, to realize that Salvation is all a gift from him. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who comes after us, right? It's not us. It's not us. And ever since then, all I've been trying to do is I've been trying to respond properly to that love. I'm not trying to earn anything, but I'm just trying to respond properly. I'm trying to shine. Some days I'm successful, some days I'm not. I'm glad you don't always see me on my bad days. <laughs> and what I've found is that shining for Jesus is the only thing that actually matters. If he could give his life up for me when I didn't deserve it, then I could give my life up for him and shine for him in this dark world and just bring as many people as I came with me. I'd say, come on, come on with me. I'm just doing my best to respond to his love. So this morning, I think Jesus wants two things to happen. The first thing is he wants you to receive his love. It always starts there. It always starts with you receiving the free gift. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad that you came to church this morning. If you have been a follower of Jesus and you walked away, I'm really glad you came to church today because Jesus wants to meet you with love today. He doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to invite you into his family. It's all a free gift. It's all a gift. All you got to do to come into his family is accept what he's already done for you. He died in your place. You should have been on that cross, right? Uh, that's where you should have been for your sin. 
But Jesus said, I'm going to pay that penalty for them. I'm going to lay down my life for them. And if you want to be saved, all you got to do is call on that Jesus and say, Jesus, I receive that gift. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I just believe that he wants to remind you of his love. He wants to take you a little bit deeper. That's the beautiful thing about following Jesus over the last you know, 12 years of really going all in. So I just feel like he takes me a little bit deeper in his love each year. It's a little bit deeper. And today, I believe he wants to take you deeper. He wants you to hear what he's saying about you. Right now, there's a conversation happening in heaven about you. And Jesus, he, he's saying that you are loved. He's saying that you are his. He's saying that you are forgiven and free. The Father is saying that, or that you look just like Jesus to him. You look perfect and spotless because of his uh, death and his sacrifice for you. He's saying, hey, I love you on your best days and on your worst days. At your very worst moments, I love you still. As you receive that love, I believe he wants something else to happen. It can't stop there. And that, I think that's part of the problem with the church today is it stops there. It's like, okay, receive and stay the same. No, no, Jesus, he, he wants you to respond to his love. Don't just receive it. Let it change you today. Let his love cause you to shine. You are made for greater things. You are made for greater things than being just like the world. You are made to shine. And you are made to be a witness. You are made to be a blessing. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. And the way to do that is to take responsibility for your faith. Look at your life. And consider how you've been expecting other people to take responsibility for your faith. Consider how, how you might start taking responsibility for it. And not just that, though. Be tender. Be humble with others. Examine your heart. Is it bitter? Is it prideful? Is it hard? Has busyness caused it to get really crusty? If Jesus loved you so much that he came and died for you, how could you be bitter at someone else? How could you think more highly of yourself than you ought to? How could you be prideful? How could you not be tender? Let him soften your heart today. Forgive someone. Forgive someone. Repent of a sin that you've committed. You've been holding on to a sin for years. You never told anyone. This morning, repent of it. Confess it to a trusted friend. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to set you free. As you take responsibility for your faith and as you choose tenderness and humility, hold fast to the word of life. The word of life. Life brings life. It brings life. The word of God brings life. Come on, we need to preach that boldly in our generation. It brings life. The truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. Hold fast to the word. Examine your beliefs. Surrender them to Jesus this morning. His ways are better. He's a little bit smarter than you. I don't know if you knew that. Examine your ways of living. Do they line up with the world or with the word? In what way of thinking or living do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus today? He's not here to shame you, but he's here to help you. Right? He's here to help you think properly and to live properly. And finally, pour yourself out for the glory of God. Don't hold on to your life. Don't do it. Give it up. Lay it down. This is the only adequate response to Jesus. So it's the only adequate response to Jesus. He's worth it. He's worthy. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your treasure. He's worthy. 
He's worthy of your energy. He's worthy of your thoughts. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your affection. He's worthy. If you'd stand all across this room, I'm going to close. out in front of you with me for a second. I just want to hear what God's saying right now. Let's just, just take a moment of, of quiet before him. Just listen to him. Just listen to him here for a moment. God, we repent not responding to it properly. God, we repent for half-hearted desires and apathy. God, we repent for, for trying to live through leaders. God, we repent for bitterness and pride, for grumbling and disputing. God, we repent for, for allowing the world to shape our ways of thinking and living. God, we surrender to you today. God, we surrender. You can have it all, Lord. You can have it all. God, for those that are here who haven't had relationship with you, I pray that you'd welcome them with open arms, as you always do, into your family this morning. I pray that you'd woo hearts to yourself and that there'd be new sons and daughters of God popping up all across this room. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We love you love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I, I want to end with some time at the altar. So if you, if God's speaking to you, just get up here right now. It'll be good. I promise. Come to the altar. Come on up. Find a place. We're going to worship. The altars are, a bit, are open and the prayer team is going to be over here for prayer. But just get along with God. Right? It's not about what anyone else is doing. It's about him. Let's get along with him. Get to the altar. Prayer team will pray for you. And, and we'll close in probably about 10 minutes here. We're going to let the Lord move here in these last 10 minutes. Just kind of make space for him. All right?